0: private journey with Jesus, Jesus is just the beginning. Connecting with others intensifies our light. Together we bring hope to the world. Christ. You. Me. Colab. Today we're talking... Uh, from the book of Philippians, and we've just started Philippians chapter 2, and this I wrote in the newsletter cover humbles me to preach from, because Philippians chapter 2 encapsulates the essence of Jesus' ministry to us, and Paul has written it in a way that just blows your mind and puts you in a place where you're just in awe of God and the goodness of God. And so it's with a sense of humility that this morning i uh, we open up the word once again, we're going to see Christ for who He is, and we're going to see ourselves for what we are. So let me pray. Father, as we open up Scripture today, we're going to find the person of Jesus staring at us, reminding us of who He is, and how it is that He broke into our world to change it forever, and out of humble beginnings, indeed humiliated beginnings. The world has been changed forever. Eternity has been changed forever. And we, Lord God, your people, we just come and submit ourselves to your word and submit ourselves to this revelation, this person of Jesus, whom, as your son, came into the world to bring the glory of God to us. Open the eyes of our understanding, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the title of my message this morning is called Empty. Empty. Empty is the complete opposite of everything that we want to have in our world, isn't it? Because we're told that our lives should be filled, filled and full. Filled and full with all sorts of experience, all sorts of toys, all sorts of relationships and and, and different things that we're called to achieve. Just yesterday, I noted that uh, my two, uh, my nephew and my niece were with us for an afternoon. And uh, my Eldest daughter was looking after them while their father was away. And she said to me afterwards, she said, do you know that those two kids at the age of 9 and 11 have their own YouTube page? I said, what are you talking about? She said, they have a YouTube account where they upload their little lives up on the internet so that their friends, their followers, will be able to see what their lives are all about. And so as they were spending time with us, doing some baking, doing a few jobs in the yard, playing soccer on the, on, the, on, the, on, the, uh, on the grass, they were asking themselves all the way along, what can we do that we could upload onto our YouTube account so that the world would see how important we are, so the world would see what wonderful lives we have. And so not only do we want to fill our lives, but we want to fill our lives and show everybody that our lives are filled. It's remarkable. Even my oldest daughter said... I can't get my head around that. And I'm thinking, you can't get your head around that. I'm struggling to get my head around that. You know, different generations, three generations there. And so we live in a world where trying to live a life that is, fill, is filled is, is the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal. And yet here we have Christ who comes to us and literally empties himself of himself to become humiliated on a cross and so as we read this story from Philippians, as we read Paul's account of whom Jesus is, we start from a position of uh, this is contrary to everything that we invest into our world. Everything that we take from society is the complete upside downness of God. And so we looked at this, these sets of verses last week, and uh, we finished with Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let's just recapture that where Paul said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Treat yourselves. Treat yourselves as servants for the sake of other people's interests. That is a very, very challenging set of words, isn't it? Do you find that challenging? I find it challenging. And if somebody approached me at the end of last week's sermon and they said, Craig, does that mean that I have to t- tolerate abuse from other people? And they explained circumstances in their life. They would suggest that to follow the scripture uh, to its letter would mean that they'd become a doormat. I said, not at all, because you know who you are in Christ. You have personal integrity, you have value, and it's not there for somebody to take advantage of. So you're not to be manipulated you are to be called, you are to be empowered, to be a servant. But the question is, what goes on in the mind of Paul as he's writing this? Paul is writing a pastoral letter to the town of Philippi, to the church there, that is only a small group of people. He's put it in its perspective, only a small group of people. And there's something that is driving Paul to talk to them about how they live together. And we've got to go to the end of Philippians and find the reason, one of the big reasons why Paul has such a pastoral concern for the well-being of these people and how it is that they're relating to one another. Look to the interests of others. There's something that's driving this. And we know that when we read a book or when we uh, read a letter, sometimes you find the reason why the letter has been written at the end. There's a big therefore. And so I just want to address that by taking us to chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and we pick up the reason why Paul is so emphatic about our relationships. He says this, therefore my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, his true companion being Timothy, Help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, those whose whose names are in the book of life. These two women, Yodia and Syntyche, have had a major falling out, a major disagreement. And Paul is deeply concerned about this fledgling church and how it is that It's to get along because he knows that there are two things that happen when there is conflict. Firstly, there is no witness to society about the goodness of God and the fact that Christ makes a difference in your life. And secondly, the momentum in this fledgling church would have come to a screaming halt. Anything to do with mission, anything to do with sharing the faith, being Christians would have come to a screaming halt because of the conflict in the midst of these folks. And so Paul is writing to this whole church because he knows that there are two people here who are standing back to back, not in a positive way, but in a negative way, not wanting to consider one another as being valuable, but elevating their own priority, their own status, one above another. And so Paul is saying, understandably, look to the interests of others. Your witness has got to be a positive one and relationships really, really count. So that's why Paul says this, and this is what we will read it again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And so he's left this statement for us here, and we're going, wow, wow, this is going to take a bit of chewing. If I was a cow, I'd chew on this for a few days. You know. But because we're Christ's followers, we need to take this home, and we need to pray about it. Essentially for our whole lives because this is a defining point about how we live our lives and the way we treat treat others, isn't it? How we get on is so important About six years ago one of our church pastors down the bottom of this North Island Gets a phone call from the local video shop to say you better come down here Because two of your members are having a punch-up at the back of the video shop now I don't, well, I do know some of the details of this. Not who won, but some of the details. And uh, what I do know, though, is that going forward for the rest of his or her life, the person who owned the video shop will always remember the two Christians who had a punch up. That'll be the biggest witness that he would have carried into the future about what Christians do for and to one another. And so here is Paul asking, pleading with people to. Consider others better than themselves. And then he goes on to make the greatest, boldest statement that I think Paul probably ever makes. And he basically gives us a for example. Because when we've got a, a call to change our behavior, often it's helpful if someone says, and for example, this is what I'm trying to describe to you. And Paul says this, for example, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, some of your Bibles will say uh, you should have the same attitude as that of Christ, which actually soft-sells what Paul is saying here. Paul is being very specific because it's easy to say, you should have the right attitude and your attitude should be the same as that of Christ. But Paul is saying, no, 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 this is not about attitude. This isn't about you and God. This is about you, God, and others. In your relationships, you should have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And it's this that Paul is wanting to address. It's all very well having this one-on-one relationship with Jesus where I can come to church, I can worship, but we have to fight hard, for our relationships, and to the best of your ability, seek to reconcile everything that might be falling apart. That is a big challenge for us all. But as much as it is up to you, you should be holding out an olive branch of reconciliation wherever possible. Paul uh, obviously had seen and heard the work of Jesus. And Jesus made this comment about uh, religious leaders and their attitude towards. Um, God and towards others. In uh, Luke's Gospel, 18, it says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Do you like that? Look down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so Paul writes to us out of the same spirit. He's seen Jesus elevate the lost, the lonely, the isolated, the marginalised, the tax collectors, the sinners, the widows, the lepers. He's seen him add. Um, he's seen them, raise these people up, and he says, "You have value. You have value." Mother Teresa talks about her her home for the poor and the abject, those in abject poverty in Kolkata, and uh, in one situation, uh, one of her nuns was washing the body of a leper. and she was asked, how long will this nun keep washing this person who was clearly going to die? And she said, oh, we wash these people until we can see Jesus. Because sometimes Jesus hides in these people just so that we can find him where we least expect him. Well, those are incredibly powerful illustrations. It's an incredibly powerful illustration, isn't it? Whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me, Jesus said. But coming back to what Paul had to say, Paul said, in our relationships, we should have the same attitude as Christ did. And he says here, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage something to be used to his own advantage. You know, it's kind of, it would be kind of cool to be God. You'd have a few advantages, wouldn't you think? And and it's all about this advantage that we assume that God has that is being given away. His power, the glory that is due his name, His understanding of the world, being all-powerful, all-knowledgeable, all all of these things, we just go on about the nature and character of God. But he gave himself away. And we see this in examples around our world, and we see people who have been given great prestige, great honour, great glory has come their way because of whom they are. And then they take this glory and they use it for the sake of others there's a ministry called Habitat for Humanity. It was started by former President Jimmy Carter. Over a million homes have been built through Habitat for Humanity. They ticked the millionth off um, a few years ago now. But it was an amazing selling point to see former President Jimmy Carter there uh, sweating it out under the hot sun with a hammer and nails working alongside everybody else. He humbled himself. He didn't just set up a foundation and say, go to it. He was there sweating it out with others. In the same way, Sir Edmund Hillary, whom we celebrate, he could have gone and conquered the highest peak in Nepal and left the Nepalese to who they were, but he took education, he took aid, he took uh, Western understanding in there to help these folks. And he celebrated in Nepal, not for conquering the mountain, but for humbling himself to work amongst the poorest of the poor. Just last week, at uh, Queen's birthday weekend, I was, I was really encouraged to see that Michael Jones, the former Christian all-black, and he's known well for his Christianity, didn't play on a Sunday, uh, was given a knighthood. He's now Sir Michael Jones. Not because he was a great rugby player, and he still is recorded in the greatest first 15 all-blacks that there's ever been. But because he took his... His, his power that comes from his fame, and he poured his energies into the South Pacific, developing contacts, uh, building economy, building tourism, helping people who are disadvantaged. So he took what he had and he poured it out for others. He could have gone on to do things for himself, and in many respects, most people would suggest good on him, taking advantage of what it is that he's been given. But all of this comes out of our attitude, out of of a Christ-like attitude. And and so we find this in the the Trinity. We've got these triangles at the back here that talk to us about uh, a three-way relationship. Well, God himself is a relationship. God himself is Trinity. And so here we have one of the incredible dynamics of of theocracy going on here, the lordship of God, the godness of God, the power of God, the authority of God. What we've got here is a, a, a story within a story because we've got Christ who is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, emptying himself, coming out of heaven, giving up his godness to become fully man and fully human at the same time. It's the stuff that theologians love to dance on pinheads about. It keeps them stuck in their ivory towers as they talk about this this thing called a hypostatic union. Sounds like something a car engine would have. A hypostatic union. Say it with me. Hypostatic union. Great, you don't need to go to theological college. You know everything I know. But a hypostatic union is where you've got two holes being pushed to create one new whole. So he's 100% man, 100% human, 100% God, and he fused, he's fused to become one who is still 100%. That's the, uh, the fun theologians and philosophers have about the person of Jesus. How did he become fully man if he was fully human? Well, he did so by emptying himself out He gave away his godness. He gave away his authority. He gave away his glory and his power so that he could come and be amongst us. And when the angels came and announced his birth at Bethlehem, they said, he is the Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God is with us. He humbled himself. It says here, not just that he humbled himself, that he humbled himself, rather he made himself nothing but by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And the servant word there is, again, best translated or equally translated as the word slave. Not a servant. Not somebody who would have a status in your household, but a slave. Somebody who is owned by others. Somebody whose value is found not in themselves, but only in the value someone perceives that they can add to their own lives. And so he poured himself out, made himself nothing, meaning literally he emptied himself of being all that he could be amongst us. And this is a divine mystery. It's a divine mystery because we encounter Jesus in the human form and we can relate to him. We can understand him because of this. If he came to us in God and all his power and all his authority in the same way that he appeared to the likes of Moses in the Old Testament. Moses wasn't allowed to look at God. Moses could only look at the afterglow of God. He could only see where God had been because he would have been destroyed. That's why the prophet Isaiah says, Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I serve a people of unclean lips, and I have seen the glory of God, he thought in that moment he was going to be destroyed completely because the godness of God was so overwhelming and so powerful. But here we have God coming to us in human form so we can look at him, we can understand him. He is God at domestic level, at a level of human consumption. And then we can see his attitudes and his actions and his humility and his love and his grace and his power stripped back in a way that serves not himself, but serves others. And ultimately, Paul then brings about the final word about Christ. It says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Dying is hard work. Dying daily is hard work. When you serve other people, your reputation is not enhanced in the usual way. Because by doing so, you put yourself in a place of slave, being a slave, a place of servanthood, and you're not counting upon people glorying in your success. You're actually counting upon God to place his hand upon you and raise you up. And there are folks in the life of our church here that I just, I just absolutely celebrate. I love it how I see people doing jobs that no one's going to know except Jesus himself. People who turn up here and clean. I was talking to a lady the other day who cleans our kitchen regularly. And I said, hey, why do you do that? Oh, I love cleaning. I'm like, I love you. People who are serving, doing dishes, doing grounds, helping our children in, their, in, the, in the children's ministry, here early, on a sunday here early in the midweek to pray and our staff they just keep going and doing the extra mile again and again and again i'm just super super impressed with our staff team because they just they just love to serve they just love to serve and they got that attitude right they know that they got to look after themselves and you know serving comes at a price but they love to serve and And all of us here are called to do that, are called to put ourselves in a place where we consider the well-being of others, even at the point of humiliation. Humiliation not at a level of embarrassment, but taking on the tough jobs. Taking on the tough jobs. I'm a great believer that everybody should wash the toilets unless you've given up using them. If you use it, you clean it. Whenever there's a camp or something going on, we're trying to organize rosters, I always put my hand up. I'll clean the toilets. I'm good at it. I've done lots of it. It's usually the quickest job to do, by the way. You make sure it's done really well. There's a few advantages. Yeah. Let's not take that any further, eh? There's only so much toilet talk you can have at church. But in the humiliation in a positive humiliation of putting yourself in a place to be a servant, something starts to happen. Something starts to metamorphosize. And this is how the world works. Sorry, this is how the kingdom works, and the world doesn't understand this. You see, the world says, if you elevate your own status, if you can have your own YouTube account, if you can have millions of people following you on Twitter, if you can take your family and your sisters and become the Kardashians who everybody just gawks at in wonder and awe. Or they think they've made it. And, and this is the thing is that the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. And the reason why Christianity has served this world ever since Christ came is because of the servant nature of those who are called Christians. Little Christs, because we have understood that there is a transaction that occurs out of humility and servanthood, and it looks exactly like this. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. In being a slave and being a servant, you are exalted, and in that place, you serve God and God alone, don't you? In that place, you say, I'm doing this for you, Jesus. And this is the the simple truth of this, is when we look at how it is that we are called to serve, the heart of a Christian servant is nourished with the confidence that God will reward us, not man. That's why our service and our servanthood is a test of our faith. It's a test of our faith. Because in the quiet place, in the isolated place, we know that only God will see what we do. Remember what Jesus said, "'And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, "'for they love to pray standing in the synagogues "'and on the street corners to be seen by others. "'Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. "'But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, "'and pray to your Father who is unseen.'" then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We're talking about an eternal transaction here. And this happens every time you get out of bed on a Sunday morning maybe, and you say, oh, I know I'm on that roster to serve. Oh boy, not really feeling up to it today, but I'll come anyway. Or when you open your home up for a life group that's coming to meet and study scripture and have fellowship in your home, and you open up your home and it's like, oh man, tonight, I just wish I could have had a quiet night at home, you know, just these winter nights, just light the fire, put the heater on, just chill out. But then at the end of the night, you stop and you recap the night and you go, man, I'm just so grateful, just so grateful that I didn't just ring up or text out and and cancel it because so-and-so needed us tonight. So-and-so needed us tonight. That's the nature of a servant. That's the heart of a servant. And God raises up people who are prepared to serve. And I've seen that right from the outset of my Christian life. When I started my Christian life, I was hanging with some buddies. And the thing that we would do with our energy and our enthusiasm and our youthfulness is we would go and find people who had, older people usually had a real time with their, hard time with their sections. You know, the weeds had grown and the trees had grown down. And we'd just go and we'd just serve them we just take a weekend out and we'd just totally deal to that section. And the people would say, what can we do to reward you? And we'd just say, just keep loving Jesus. You know, these were people that we knew who were struggling. About 12 years ago, I was invited to apply for the Baptist National Leaders role. Now, I have that role presently. But there was a guy called Rodney McCann. He was interviewed as well and it was felt that it was best for him to take the role. So him and I were, uh, were interviewed, and after the result was announced, Rodney and I got together. We had lunch together, and I said, Rodney, um, I'm currently the chairman of the Baptist eldership team. They call it the Assembly Council. And I said, I'm, I'm just tremendously grateful that you got this role. It's God's timing for you, and I will do everything that I can to make sure that you're a success. Every time Rodney would write a newsletter to the church, I would write back to him. And I'd say, great newsletter. Thanks for the encouragement. Every time he needed to set up a committee meeting, I'd try and make sure the right people were there. When we found an area where he might not be so strong in, I would work as the chairman to get people around him. You see, my goal was to serve the greater good, not serve myself. And in saying what I've just said to you, I've robbed myself of my reward in heaven for doing so because I'm now glorying in my own success as a servant. What I'm trying to say here is that wherever you are, whatever you do, you can serve others. You can put their interests first. And when you put the interests of other people first, the kingdom wins. That's what it's all about. It's not you winning. The kingdom wins. People are served. God is glorified. The kingdom advances. People rejoice and we all find our identity in the living King. And Jesus, Paul ultimately says, he says this, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. We'll just flick through. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. That at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul is saying something profoundly deep to us here. He starts off this this stanza of Scripture by saying, in your relationships. It's like, really? Really? How about just in my relationship with you, God? Does it really have to be about others? That's, that's hard work. Yes, it is. It's really hard work. But the example that we have in front of us cannot be challenged. We call ourselves Christians, so therefore we should be modeling ourselves on Christ and giving our lives away Is the very call of the gospel upon each one of us. Giving our lives away is a call where Paul says, Come to me and empty yourself of yourself. And here's the kicker and be filled with the needs of other people. You don't become empty, not in that resounding gong kind of empty. You know the First Corinthians 13 gong that makes a whole lot of noise but is not filled with love? We are called to empty ourselves and be filled with the greater, greater good, be filled with the glory of God, be filled with a vision for the kingdom, a vision that lays down our own rights and says, how can I advance the kingdom? And in every sense... Put yourselves in a place where only God and God alone will reward you. Empty. Empty. You can see why I, at the beginning of my talk this morning, said these words humble us all. Every one of us comes under conviction, me included. I'm, I'm just a traveler passing through like, like you. Like you. And you can look back at your own life and go, you know, I was, I was really, really serving well at that point. Now I'm, you know, maybe I'm not so sure. I really had Christ at the forefront of my mind at that point in my life. Now, now maybe I'm not so sure. Or maybe now you're just in that sweet spot where you know you're doing the stuff that you're called to do. I'm not here to condemn you or to judge you into something different today. I'm just saying, put Christ into the conversation and allow him to see what it is that you see. Allow him to to measure what it is that you're doing. Allow him to pour his confidence and his reward into you. Because at the end of the day, you are his servant. Let's stand for prayer. Father, as we began our worship time today, we sung a song called God and God Alone. And those words pour out of our heart and our mouth and with huge sincerity, we sing them to you. God and God alone, you are all that counts. And yet the challenge is always when the rubber meets the road in our relationships. And so God, as it is, Up to us. We're not 100% responsible for every relationship, but as it is up to us, help us, God, to be the people who extend grace and humility and love. Let us be the people who stop for a moment in the busyness and the rush of trying to fill our lives with everything, to say, where can I empty my life for the sake of others? What is it This week that I could give away for the sake of somebody else. And Lord, we just continue to develop that habit of giving it away. Lord, this is a big call in a world that demands that we are filled for our own sake. But Lord, help us, convict us, fill us afresh with your word. Fill us afresh with your spirit. Fill us afresh with that understanding that you see those quiet places, those, those closet spaces where we, where we pray. Remind us that you are our reward, nothing else. For you are all that matters. And we serve the ultimate, the God who came and humbled himself and gave himself away for our sake. Oh God, we thank you so much for Jesus' example to us. Without this Lord we would we would have no concept. We would have no concept of whom you are. So we love you for that. In Jesus name we pray.